All right, so Nehemiah chapter 8. While you guys are turning there, I've got a question for you. Who in here plays a solo sport? Not a team sport, but a solo sport. Something like swimming, running. Hey, yeah, I got my track and field home slice over here. Drew, what sport did you play? Track and field, but more directly pole vault. Track and field, pole vault. So when you were preparing for that, what were some things that you had to do? Uh, you had to mentally prepare a lot. Mental preparation. Warm-ups. What kind of stuff did it do for your diet? Did you just eat whatever? Uh, yeah, so especially the two days before, you're drinking tons and tons of water. Yeah. Keep yourself hydrated. And then, like, mainly the whole day, sometimes the night before, we would do pasta parties, so we'd get a lot of carbs. And yeah. then the day before, or the day of, you'd eat kind of light, so you're you know, not too heavy on meat. Yeah. So you're, like, actually thinking through, man, what am I eating on any given day for preparation for this? It's like pretty intense. And I'm guessing that there was a lot of working out and exercise that you had to do in addition to actually training. You had to be, uh, you had to be in shape because you're doing a solo sport. You know? Did you have to learn team formations? No. Did you have a lot of team exercises, you know, trust building or uh, plays? Sometimes. Sometimes. But when you were on the field actually competing, it was just you. Yes. Yeah. So that is how a lot of people view Christianity. A lot of people think that Christianity is just my walk. All I have to do is make sure that I'm in shape, make sure that I've got my Bible reading going on, my prayer going on. But Christianity is not a solo sport. So let me ask you this. Who in here is in a team sport? Basketball, football. Hey, I've got some over here. So when you're playing basketball, you still have to stay in shape. You still have to be dieting. You still have to be doing the things that keep your individual self strong. But I'm guessing you practice a lot with your team, right? What are some things that you do with your team? Practicing plays, team chemistry, getting to know each other. Charlie, what sport do you play? play hockey. hockey. And what are some things that you guys do as a team? Practice drills, moving the puck along. Parker? She had to break your collarbone. Break your collar. Yeah. <laughs> Parker? Baseball. baseball. And what are some things that you guys practice as a team? What are things that you have to know? Knowing where to throw the ball. Yeah. So if you're playing a team sport, would you have a player who just never actually practices with the team? They're always off on their own doing their own workouts. Would that make sense? How, how do you think that person would like synergize with the rest of the team? Do you think that would go well? Someone who doesn't know the plays, who doesn't have any team chemistry, who doesn't know the names of their teammates. How do you think that would go in the game? Yes. I have that exact player and he's actually the star. So. That exact player is the star? Well, it doesn't usually happen like that. Typically, that person would not be able to function if all you ever do is work on yourself and you're in shape, but you never practice forms, you never practice plays, you never practice with your team, that makes it so that you can't function properly. And the issue is, Christianity is not a solo sport. Christianity is a team sport. What you do as a group matters. We're on lesson three of our spiritual discipline series, and the last two lessons were reading your Bible and praying. And that's like working out and dieting. That's what you do one-on-one -on -one with God to make yourself stronger. But it's not just what you do one-on-one. -on -one. As Christians, we're supposed to be growing as a group. Christianity is a communal religion. And you can't function in the church if you're not going to church. But today, I want to talk to you guys about two things that are really important for your church involvement. Like, why should you be going to church? 
And the first thing, thank you, the first thing is that church is a place to learn. So if you have that in your handouts, church is a place to learn. You know, I'm going to read you guys in Nehemiah chapter 8. We're not going to read the whole chapter, but I'm going to go through and we're going to get the rough idea of what's happening here. And, you know, this is a portion that we're going to be getting to eventually on Sunday. But Nehemiah is a book about people from the Babylonian Empire, from now the Medes and the Persians, coming out of exile back to Jerusalem and rebuilding the city. And after they've rebuilt the city, spoilers, they end up rebuilding it. But after they rebuild the walls, this is what they do. This is one of the first things that they do. In 8 verse 1, And all the people gathered together as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard. Notice, men, women, and all who can understand. If you were old enough to know what Ezra was saying, you were old enough to be in this assembly. So that includes four-year-olds. Seven-year-olds, nine-year-olds, 12-year-olds, and on. So this is young people. This isn't something that's only for adults. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. That's like about three, four hours in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden pallet, uh, wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. Which, if that's sounding a whole lot like a pastor preaching a sermon, you'd be correct. Because I'm going to keep on reading. If you go to verse 5, it says, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Wow, corporate worship. Doesn't that sound kind of like what we do on Sunday mornings? And even just now, where you sing beforehand. Interesting. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And in verse 8, they read from the book of the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Like, they didn't just read it, but after reading it, they explained it. Kind of like what I'm doing right now. This is basically like an outline of a rough church service. And this is kind of what's going on. And this is one of the things that you guys need to be going to church for, is that you're actually learning the Bible. You know, when you read the Bible on your own, that's important. In fact, that's much more important than listening to a sermon. But listening to a sermon is extremely valuable and helpful. So, uh, point one, church is a place to learn. So, if you consider Psalm 119, 9 through 11, this is something that we looked at two weeks ago. It says, how can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander away from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And the thing that I want you guys to think about is that church is not just for your parents. Church is not just for people with driver's licenses. Church is not just for people that you think are older or mature. Church is for you. Like when we're going to Sunday mornings and we're going into the main service, you guys are old enough for that. You guys are old enough to understand everything the pastor is saying. You guys are old enough to be paying attention to it. In this one, in chapter 8, you've got people who are listening nonstop for four hours. 30 minutes might not be easy, but you can do it. 
And as you do it, you're going to get better at doing it. And it's important that you guys are in service learning how to listen to sermons, learning how to learn the Bible, because you need it. It says, how can the young man keep his way pure? Each of you guys is needing to learn. In fact, I'm going to give you guys an example. So this is not my only job. Uh, I'm a programmer, so I program computers. I'm a software engineer. That's the fancy word for it. And I started learning how to program when I was a sophomore in high school. So I was about 16 years old, and I was teaching myself. I didn't have helpers. I didn't have other people tutoring me. I didn't have classes. I went on the internet, and I looked it up on my own. I had to research what I had to learn. I had to teach it to myself, and I had to give myself assignments to learn how to program. And I did that for two years. And then I went to college. And in college, my major was software engineering. And when I was in college, I now had professors, people who had been programming for longer than I've been alive. For some of them, that was literally the case. And I got to have people who already knew what I needed to learn. I got to have people who had already made all the mistakes. I got to have people who knew how to take this information and make it easy to understand. And in six months in college, I learned more than I learned in the entire two years that I had been teaching myself. Because I had people who were able to speed the process. And when you guys come to church, you're supposed to be reading the Bible on your own. There is significantly more in the Bible than I have time to teach you in six years of Sundays and Wednesdays. You should be reading on your own. But I have been studying this for a very long time. Other pastors have been studying this for a very long time. When I talk about people who have been studying the Bible longer than you've been alive, that describes most of the pastors. In fact, that describes both of the pastors of this church. Like, we are people who are available to you to take the things that would take you years to learn and to package it and give it to you quickly. Sermons are your opportunity to slam on the gas pedal and to learn everything that you can learn as fast as possible. And you should be studying on your own. You should be reading on your own. But that's a pretty valuable resource. You can take something that you could take 10 years learning or I could give it to you in two. Do you see the value there? When you're going to church and you're interacting with people that are older than you, who have studied the Bible longer than you, like this isn't meant as a dig in any way, but I'm just guessing that the majority of the people in this room have not read the entire Bible, which isn't like this horrible thing. When I was your age, I hadn't read the entire Bible. But every single one of the teachers at this church have read the Bible over and over and over, and they've studied it for years. And we are able to make this easier for you. In, Ez, in chapter 8, it says that they helped them to understand the words. Like they, the Ezra and the Levites, they were going around and helping people to get it. And that's what I'm here for. That's what your pastors are here for. We're trying to make this easy. But something that you need to keep in mind is that you need to be studying it on your own. In Acts chapter 20, verses 29 and 30, Paul is talking to leaders of the church in Ephesus, and he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Something that you have to be prepared for is that just because you have a pastor who's teaching in a church does not mean that what they're saying is accurate. 
There are plenty of people who go into churches. There are plenty of people that call themselves pastors. There are plenty of people who have all kinds of things to say, and none of it is accurate. And the thing is, you guys, one of the reasons that you need to study the Bible on your own is because you need to be able to tell when I'm saying something that isn't accurate. And that's kind of a high standard because, like, I've been studying this for a pretty long time, at least longer than most of you guys have, and you need to be able to catch me in an error. Because the thing is, even if you have a pastor right now who's taking care of you, even if you have a pastor right now who's saying what's accurate, that doesn't mean that in two years that'll still be the case. Like, things happen. Pastors leave for one reason or another. Like, maybe I'll die tomorrow, and then someone else will have to teach you, and maybe that person won't know the first thing about the Bible. And you need to know the Bible well enough to have that be your source of truth. In Acts chapter 17, it says the brothers, that's referring to a church, immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And Paul wrote most of the books in the New Testament. And when Paul, an apostle, capital A, went to a church he says that they were doing the right thing because they were checking up on him. And I am significantly less faithful than Paul. (laughs) And you guys need to know the church, you guys need to know the Bible well enough to correct me. Like, there's a lot of people who will say that if you can choose between reading your Bible or listening to a sermon, you should listen to the sermon. Because, you know, people spend 20 hours preparing for sermons, and there's so much packed into that sermon that you're going to get so much more out of it than you would out of your Bible reading, right? Wrong. Sermons are extremely valuable. We help you to learn things faster. But a sermon is less valuable than you knowing the Bible because the Bible's right even when your pastors aren't always. For example, in a team sport, do you guys have team captains? You don't have team captains? Okay, well, typically when you have a team sport, you have team captains. Um, Maybe that's more common in high school. But the team captain is one of the players who's like identified as like the leader of the group. And their job is to help everyone else do what they're supposed to do to encourage the new people and to inspire leadership and to like, give instruction. So you can kind of imagine a pastor like being the team captain. He's one of the Christians, he's just one of the players, but he has a special role to help encourage other people. But let me ask you a question. If the team captain tells you to do one thing and the coach tells you to do a different thing, which one do you listen to? Coach or team captain? This isn't a trick question. Coach or team captain? Coach. You listen to the coach. Because the coach is in charge, not the team captain. And in the same way, if a pastor tells you to do something and the Bible tells you to do something else, which one do you listen to? The Bible. That's right. Because the pastor is not in charge. God is in charge. And you need to know the Bible well enough to benefit from the teaching. But if you know your Bible and you come here and you come to church on Sundays, you have people who are helping you learn the Bible way faster than you would be able to on your own. And you need this. Like, the stuff that I did in the Bible is significantly more valuable than the stuff that I learned about programming. Because programming is helpful when I'm at work, but the Bible is helpful everywhere. But it's not just that you need to come to church to learn. The church is a place to build relationships. And for this one, I want you guys to turn to Acts chapter 2. And Acts is in the New Testament. It's right after the book of John. And Acts chapter 2 is on page, if you're in the church's Bibles, 1082. So it's the end of Acts chapter 2. So go to page 1082. 
And this is a description of the early church. So this is shortly after the Holy Spirit has come upon the original apostles and they were preaching on Pentecost. And after the initial group of Christians was converted, this is what they did. In verse 42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And there's a few things that we're going to talk about in there, but something I want you to notice, are they just together on Sundays? No. Because it says that day by day, they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. And something that you guys need to understand is that church is not the building. Church is not what you come to on Sunday mornings. Church is not the singing. Church is not the uh, the sermon. Church is not anything that happens in the service. Church is the people. You guys are the church. I'm the church. Drew and Taylor, Miles, all of you. Everyone in the church is the church. It's the people. And you'll see that it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That was point one. And fellowship. That's point two. That's building relationships. Because when you're in a church, you're in a community. And it's not just that you're supposed to be showing up to the Sunday sermon. You're supposed to be a part of this community. Church is what happens during the week. Church is what's happening right now. We're in youth group. This is church. Church was when we were playing games out front. Church is when you guys are doing small groups afterward. Church is when you go to a life group. Church is when you're interacting with other people in the church. And you guys need to understand that church is significantly more than just streaming a service. Like if you're just going home and you're streaming the Sunday service and that's all you've got, that's not church. If church is just that you're showing up for the Sunday service and then you're you're leaving, you're just eating on out of there, That's not church. Church is being a part of the community. And there's a reason why. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, I should add, in person, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Like one of the things that you guys need from your relationships at church is encouragement. I'm going to bring this back to team sports again. Back when I was in junior high and high school, I wasn't on a sports team in high school, but I got to see people on sports teams. And one of the things that I noticed about the football team is that when the football team was working out together, you had everyone in the football team egging each other on to work harder. If you had a new guy who was like lifting, but he wasn't really trying, one of the upperclassmen would walk on over and he'd be like, nah, man, don't be a pansy. I know you can handle 10 more pounds. Give me three more reps. You're stopping at 20? What are you doing? And when they saw someone who was working out with bad form, they didn't just let him throw out his back and learn the hard way, the right way to deadlift. He walked over and he said, Home Slice, you're going to hurt yourself. Let me show you how to do this correctly. And you had more experienced people helping the less experienced people. And if you had two people that were just as experienced, both of them were encouraging each other to just do one more. And when you were a part of the sports team, you're getting accountability from each other. You're getting encouragement from one another. You're getting people helping you grow 
faster. And everyone is egging each other on because everyone on that sports team has the same goal. And everyone on that sports team wants everyone else to be as strong as possible. Like in your guys' sports games, in your basketball games, baseball games, in your hockey games, if you have someone who is significantly weaker than everyone else, the entire team notices. Isn't that right? You know who the slackers are. You know who's not putting in the work. And it's the same way in a church. As Christians, we have a goal. As Christians, our primary goal in life is to honor God. But you know what else our goal is? If you are a Christian, you are a missionary. If you are a Christian, you are a missionary. As Christians, our goal in this world is to bring the gospel to lost people. And when you come to church, everyone is supposed to be egging on everyone else to spread the gospel. In Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, I'm going to read some of this again, encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. When he talks about the day drawing near, he's talking about the end. He's talking about the end of time when God judges everyone. He's talking about the moment when only one question in your life is going to matter. Do you know Jesus? And as Christians, we're supposed to be accepting Jesus ourselves. We're supposed to be repenting of sin and submitting, but we're also supposed to be trying to spread the gospel to everyone else. All of us have a single goal, and all of us are supposed to be pursuing that goal together. But it's not even just encouragement. In Ephesians 6, which this is a bit of a throwback to our Ephesians series, if any of you guys were there, but Ephesians 6, 16 through 19 Paul is talking about the armor of God. He says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. When he repeats himself, that's supposed to mean it's really important. So he says, Praying at all times with all prayer and supplication. Prayer is really important. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication, there's the same word again, for all the saints and also for me, that my words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. When you come to church, you're supposed to be praying for yourself and for others. He says making supplication for all the saints. Something that I want you guys to think about. In your life, you're not usually spending all of your time at a really high moment. You're not really usually spending all of your time at the low moment. Life is generally lived in kind of like the average. Most of your life is normal, right? And then every so often you get a really good spike. That's really awesome. Like maybe a high school graduation or like you get married or like your kid is born. Very relatable for all of you, I'm sure. <laughs> you get free ice cream. You, uh, I don't know. You get an A on a test. Yeah, you win your sports game. Like, you have good moments. Or you have really bad moments. Your pet dies. You get injured. Your, your arm breaks. Your collarbone breaks. <laughs> All kinds of rough things go on, right? A family member dies. And there are moments in your life where you go through hard times. When you go through hard times, people at church are supposed to be praying for you. But I want you to think about this. In the majority of your life, you're not always going through really bad times. But all the time, there is someone in the church who's going through a really bad time. There's at least one person who maybe they're struggling through the death of a family member. 
Maybe they have a physical injury they're getting through. Maybe they just lost their job. And when you're in church, there is someone in the church that needs you to pray for them. And something I want you guys to think about, do you know people in the church well enough for them to know when you need prayer and for you to know when they need prayer? Who in the church is struggling right now? Who in the church has injuries? Who in the church is struggling with their job? Who in this church is in dire straits? Do you know who they are and are you praying for them? This is one of the reasons that church can't just be virtual. This is one of the reasons that you can't just watch it on your TV. Church has to be in person because church is relationships. And something else that's really important about church, like we're talking about spiritual disciplines, and these are the things that you do to grow stronger yourself. But church isn't just about what you get. Church is about what you give. And you're supposed to be coming to church, serving, caring for other people, praying for other people, getting other people's help to pray for you. You're supposed to be learning. You're supposed to be growing. But you're supposed to be giving. You're supposed to be giving your time. You're supposed to be giving your prayers. And that's important. So I'm going to, you know, conclude. But something I want you guys to think about is like the goal of this youth ministry. Like literally our mission is the spiritual growth of the students through the teaching of the Bible, discipleship from leaders, and the relationships between the students. Which that's something that I've talked to my leaders about a bunch. This is something we talk about in our parent meetings. But if you look around at what we do, we play games together. I'm trying to build relationships between you guys. We have youth events. I'm trying to build relationships between you guys. I'm supposed to be providing you leaders who are mature, who are worth emulating, who can help you to grow. And I'm supposed to be providing you teaching so that you can grow and learn what the Bible says. And that's literally what church is. You'll notice that it was teaching, relationships, relationships. And when you come to church, you need relationships with people who are more mature than you, who can help you, who can answer your questions, who can guide you, who can say, hey, if you try to deadlift like that, you're going to hurt yourself. Let me show you the right way. Because I made that mistake. Let me help you not to make it. You need people that can encourage you to grow. Maybe they're not necessarily more mature than you, but they're cheering you on. You need people that can pray for you. And you need people that you can pray for, and you need to be encouraging other people to grow. Because as a team, we have a mission. We have a goal. We are trying to please God, and we are trying to evangelize the world. And you need a church for that. You know, a Christian that doesn't go to church is like a branch that is not attached to a tree. It doesn't happen. And if it does happen, it's bad news for that branch. And you guys are like branches. You're supposed to be attached to the trunk of Christ. You're supposed to be a part of the body of Christ. Church is a community. So with that, I'm going to bow our heads, we're going to pray it out, and then we'll do some small groups. Lord, thank you so much that you give us the opportunity to meet together. Thank you so much that you give us the chance to do this legally. Like, I think about the fact that there's plenty of places where what we're doing right now could get us arrested. But you give us the opportunity to do this in the open. I pray that you would help these students to recognize the importance and the value of teaching. That they would see that the Sunday sermon is for them, not just their parents. That they would seek out teaching. That they would learn the Bible as fast as they can. And that they would use people to do it. But Lord, that they would be guided by the word itself. 
Lord, I pray that you would help them to see the value of coming together and having relationships with each other, to pray for each other, to encourage each other. Lord, to have people that they can pray for and serve and encourage. Lord, I pray that you would help them to see the value of the church, to care about it, and to want to be a part of it. Lord, I I pray that you would help them to see that it's not just something for the older people, but that it's something for them. That every person in this room is old enough to be a part of the church. Every person in this room is old enough to encourage and to pray for another person. That every person in this room needs that. Lord, I pray that you would help each of us individually and together to be you know, running after you, to be pursuing the evangelism of the lost, to be spreading the gospel, and to recognize that we have a mission in this world that we need to accomplish together. Lord, give us a sense of unity, give us a sense of shared love, and help us to live our faith out with each other. And Lord, I pray these things in the name of our King Jesus Christ. Amen.